This is Defenders TV podcast special episode where we're looking at Doctor Strange the movie 2016. All roads have been leading to this date. Welcome back, Defenders. Welcome back, Interdimensional Beings. Uh, this is a very special episode of Defenders TV Podcast, where I get to realise my childhood dreams and see my absolute favourite superhero comic character realised on screen, thanks to Marvel, thanks to Scott Derrickson, thanks to um, everyone involved. And of course, a fantastic Benedict Cumberbatch uh, playing Doctor Strange. Hi, and I am one of your slightly high, slightly giddy hosts, John. Slightly. <laughs> I'm your second host, Chris. I'm not as high. I'm I'm actually quite sober. Hi, Mum. It, it's a comic book thing, I swear. It's the interstellar stardust. Have you tried Astral Plane? You're going to have kids going up going, have you got Astral? Have you got Astral? <laughs> <laughs> and I am your final host, Derek. Um, I'm pretty high on this and this movie. This is pretty darn cool. Uh, it's kind of amazing that we've gotten uh, to this position where we're talking about magic and the astral planes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it does feel part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Yeah, it really does. Um, some bits really sort of just made me feel um, like we'd gone back to the comics. And yet then there were little nods to whether it was Guardians of the Galaxy to some extent, at least the color scheme. Um, and nods to Ant-Man as well. Uh, and then obviously direct references to, um, the Some difference between, um, you know, what goes on in this movie and obviously then the Avengers mm. and, and what they do. This will be a completely spoiler, not free episode. <laughs> we will be spoiling everything. Yes. And, uh, just to give you the heads up there, um, if you haven't seen it yet, go out and check it out principally on IMAX, uh, for the eye-popping 3D. It's really good. I'm sure we will discuss this in, in the episode. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe there's a, a few... <laughs> yes, um, a few negatives maybe around the 3D, but that's generally to do with 3D rather than um, anything specific here mm. in this case. But um, yes, we will be spoiling um, Doctor Strange, the movie... 2016. Yeah, as of right now, we're recording it the day after it came out in the UK and Ireland, which is the 25th of October, and we don't know when it's going to be released, so we know uh, some of our listeners are based in the US and the movie comes out about around November 4th over there, so, uh, so if you haven't watched it, rush out to the cinema, go watch it, or go listen to our preview spoiler-free special, which had zero spoilers for this film. I think I can categorically say that now after watching it. Um, but uh, yeah, go out and, and listen to that. Go watch, go watch the film. Come back and hear all of our spoiler-filled thoughts uh, when you do. Okay, Derek, can you insert a really weird sounding like, Woo! So every time we make a spoiler, it's like, in case you, from this point on, Woo! You know the sound is going to be exactly that, Chris, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we're going to get really into the spoilers, and I personally have a lot of comments on it, so mm -hmm. if this is your last chance... <laughs> they better be good, Chris. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see. 
Now we we sound like two of the, the main antagonists and protagonists in I this know, film. Absolutely, I think we should get onto it. I'm worried about what you're going to say, Chris. No, no, don't oh. don't be worried. Don't be worried. Uh, everyone's got to like it and make loads of money, so that, as it says at the end of the film, Doctor Strange will return. I'm I'm, gu- <laughs> I'm guaranteeing he'll return. But just the good thing is, if you're a listener to our podcast, or if you're coming for the first time just for our Doctor Strange thoughts, the way we cover our episodes of TV shows and our movies is we talk about our top five points, some good, some bad, uh, about the movie, each of us taking five points uh, to discuss through it, hopefully covering off everything we need. Uh, If we don't get everything in our points, we have some little notes and takeouts uh, that we talk about as well, uh, and then we see whether we individually defend the movie or not. Hopefully, if this is your first time joining us, you will subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes and get to hear all of our episodes about Luke Cage, which we're covering at the moment, or Jessica Jones, or Daredevil, or all the other shows and movies that we've covered over on Defenders TV podcast in our uh, two-year history now. Yes, we've covered absolutely loads, and please, if you want to uh, subscribe, leave a review to help out us wee little independent podcasts, then please do head over either to uh, defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes or to our website at defenderstvpodcast.com or search Defenders TV Podcast on any other good podcast catcher in any other uh, dimension. Um, as well, you can join us on our Facebook group for any discussions of the Doctor Strange movie, uh, as well as any of the Marvel Netflix or any Marvel news. Uh, just come to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Mm-hmm. So this is the culmination of our Summer of Strange, gentlemen. We started off with uh, a Doctor Strange 101, the 1978 Doctor Strange movie, the animated movie, the IMAX preview, and now we are finally, finally at Scott Derrickson's version of Doctor Strange, the 2016 IMAX 3D movie that we all went to see uh, on the 25th of October. Just to give you some of the details behind the movie, it was directed and part written by Scott Derrickson, who's known for his uh, his horror movies, uh, Sinister. Um, he did The Day the, the Earth Stood Still. And he also started out his career to on the direct-to-DVD Hellraiser Inferno. Oh, thank God that didn't happen to Doctor Strange. <laughs> well, it was the sixth or so uh, episode of the Hellraiser franchise, so uh, so totally understand why it did go to DVD. I think it was intended to at the time. Yeah, he also did The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which I remember, because it has uh, Tom Wilkinson in it. We really love uh, Tom Wilkinson as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really good. Sinister, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, absolutely loved. So I definitely knew him from, from those two movies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and the movie was written by Scott, as I said, as well as um, his regular collaborator, C. Robert Cargill, who worked with him on Sinister 1 and 2. They're also joined by John Spates, who is well known for his work on Prometheus, the prequel to the Alien franchise, sort of, kind of, maybe, possibly. Mm-hmm. I really kind of liked that film. I know it was hugely divisive for people who are fans of Alien and Aliens, but um, I kind of liked it. I liked the aesthetic of it. Um, I like uh, Ridley Scott's kind of way of doing things. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed that. So ultimately a pretty solid team, but again, one of those um, teams that isn't, um, necessarily, you know, it's not a Christopher Nolan. It's not a, it's yeah. not a, uh, I don't know, a, uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, but, but 
Marvel have got this track record of going for people who have delivered on really challenging budgets and have produced quality um, and, and solid, reputable stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely saw something in Scott Derrickson and his team up with C. Robert Cargill that delivered a small budget film like Sinister and uh, and Cre- and garnered a huge amount of money out of it, I presume, is, is one of the reasons why they're they're involved. Uh, one of the other interesting things is John Spate's upcoming movie. Um, he's going to be working with Stephen Denight on the sequel to Pacific Rim. Uh, our listeners will know Stephen Denight as the showrunner for Daredevil Season 1. So uh, I think it's quite interesting. They're all working together as well. So uh, some of the members of the Marvel Universe getting together. And, of course, we have um, Dan Harmon, who was involved in Community, also involved in the script to bring in the humour, which there was loads of it in spades and really good. And, of course, Dan Harmon um, was also involved in certain elements of other Marvel films, such as The Avengers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan Harmon is one of the reasons I became so interested, question mark, in the film. <laughs> Are you just doing this to wind me up? I know. I I am on like tenterhooks. I know here. you're so listeners I, thinking I that just, he's about to rip my heart out and shove it down my throat. I swear, listeners, I'll say it now. And we'll get into the reasons why. I like this. It was good. It is it one of the best. It's in the top five. And that yeah. So oh, okay. I now 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 everyone's good. Anyway, back to Dan Harmon. For me, Dan Harmon is literally community. So when I heard he was part of this, it automatically made me go, uh-oh, are they going to try and make another Guardians of the Galaxy, but with Dr. Strange? Right. right. They haven't. And that's a good thing. They took the nerdy comic reference jokes and some of the humor from community. They marvelized it. They MCU'd it. And they, they stuck it in the right places in this film. Yeah, I, I have a very different opinion about Dan Harmon on this. I can see where he was introduced. Um, I can really see the treatment that John Spates, just from his work on Prometheus and C. Robert Cargill, I can see the treatment that they did to this film. It's a really serious film, one of the most serious, really, that we've seen yep. uh, in the Marvel Universe. There's lots of moments uh, that are in the middle of of a surgery where people are getting loads of work on them, people are dying on tables, you know, some quite serious stuff. And it does feel like it got a polish uh, to add in the humor from uh, from someone with the kind of uh, knowledge of that of how that works in a, the cinematic world uh, like Dan Harmon it does really you can feel the polish and there's nothing wrong with that you do need a laugh occasionally you need some good laughs and good belly laughs which there were many in this film um, but I do feel that Dan Harmon added that on top of uh, the work that the guys had already done um, in the movie. I actually see your point of view as well I, I've yet to see any of his series though. I just know the Rick and Morty and the community yeah. And those are epic. They are out there. They speak to our cultural clique, our mm-hmm. age bracket, if you want to call it that. The majority of people who are listening to this podcast probably have watched some form of Dan Harmon entertainment in their mm-hmm. previous. So I see why Marvel have got him involved. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Definitely. But definitely. they didn't do what I thought they were going to do. I Basically, I thought they were going to try and make a 70s version of Doctor Strange. Right. Instead of like really bad... Bow chicka wow wow erotica seventies music. It oh, we've just, seen that one. We've seen that one. Basically, I just thought they were going to basically add in jokes versions of that. They didn't go that far, definitely. Yeah, they didn't go down the cheesy route at all, but they certainly did bring in some kind of 
music that was of that kind of flavor, a bit more modern, maybe a bit more up to date, but, um, or, or maybe a bit more up to date with regards to our sensibility of mm. music, but, um, certainly retro. Retro, it was retro. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I liked that. I thought that was a nice little, uh, a nice little nod to his, incarnation but also to the 70s tv movie pilot absolutely 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 i completely agree with you and i think i'm gonna hold off following on from this conversation until one of my points later on but you'll like it Uh, all i'll say now is to give you a teaser ditka there we go Mm -hmm. so john it is the summer of strange not the autumn of strange or the, the the fall of strange as our american listeners will say do you want to kick it off with a short synopsis, if you will, a summary, a, a flourishing transcendence <laughs> of astral plane words that is this film. Absolutely. Stephen Strange, an exceptional yet arrogant neurosurgeon, is involved in a car accident that seriously injures his hands. With crushed fingers, torn tendons, splintered bones, and his career ruined, he uses the last of his wealth to try and repair his injuries and regain control of his hands, his work, and his life, but to no avail. In a last gasp effort, Strange heads to Karmataj in Kathmandu, Nepal, where he is introduced to a mysterious leader known as the Ancient One and a new way of seeing the world. As he learns of magic, alternate dimensions, and the sanctums located across the world to defend the Earth from mystical threats, he is told of a man named Cassilius, a zealot and former disciple of the Ancient One, who seeks to tear down the fabric of time and space for a new master. As Cassilius's threat takes hold, it is up to Doctor Strange and the masters of the mystic arts to defend the sanctums and prevent the fall of Earth. Did you think you would ever read a synopsis like that, John? No, I didn't. Um, if I am absolutely, totally honest, and if you're not aware of it, listeners, um, I think for about the last two years, I have been saying all roads leading to... 2016 and the Doctor Strange movie. I think Big. almost every episode of The Defenders, you worked it in because, uh, as some of our listeners know, Doctor Strange is a member of the, or the founding member of The Defenders in the comic book. So uh, exactly. it, it was kind of prying on your mind the whole time as we were doing Defenders episodes. It even crept into our interview there recently of um, Bailey, played by Justin Swain. Um, it crept into his interview. It did. It yeah, did, yeah. Sure. So... Um, yeah, I'm slightly obsessed, but he, the, the character of Doctor Strange has been, um, a comic character that I've known since my youth, um, which is a good, well, as of uh, the 25th of October, um, a good 39 years ago, um, so to speak, uh, there or thereabouts. So it, you know, like this is amazing that this happened at all. Um, and happy as the proverbial pig. Um, quite frankly, and, uh, really pleased. I'm just so glad, um, you know, it, it, it went down well, certainly in our auditorium. I mean, like, you know, everyone seemed to be enjoying the visuals. Everyone seemed to be, you know, getting the jokes and at least responding to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on IMAX, big screen, really good. Um, Again, one of those 3D movies were, it's one of the better ones uh, and it works given, um, the, the sort of the visuals again and, and, and what they can do to make 3D more interactive, I suppose. Yeah. I think I said on our IMAX preview episode that, uh, we were going to look up as to see whether this movie was made for IMAX. I know it wasn't made for IMAX, but it was purposely 
translated to IMAX, uh, very differently to the way Marvel usually do their uh, post-production to 3D. It's usually a different studio that do it. Um, they did purposely film some of the scenes that they could be pumped into 3D IMAX. So, uh, so you could, I think you could definitely tell that in this film. What's think, Chris? No, you could. Um, and I think to a degree, it tell it, it's a telling. Uh, I don't know why they they've obviously changed with their tradition here. You can see the benefits of what they've done in this. And, mm-hmm. um, okay, these are spoilers. They're, you've listened to it. We've given you enough kind of warning. If you're still listening at this point, you've seen the film. If you haven't, welcome anyway. Those large, sprawling scenes where they are bending reality, mm-hmm. um, they were built for IMAX. Yeah. But 3D IMAX as a technology is still, it's cutting edge and it's, that's the problem. Um, I, I spoke to you guys as we left last night about it. It was great. The 3D was brilliant, but some of those scenes would benefit more from like the Mac screens or the, the iSense screens where it's not 3D because when you have five to six or seven different characters on mm-hmm. these sprawling, hugely amazing cityscapes that are folding reality and it's beautiful. When it's 3D, you're focusing on one and everything else blurs to a degree, kind of hazes, I found. So when I was so watch some of these chases, which I really wanted to take in as much, I was focusing on one person they kind of blurred a bit more everyone else than I would focus on someone else. And I think it, it it's the only... It's the only downside I could see about the special effects, in my own opinion, which is just, and I think that's, as I said, this is not about Doctor Strange. It potentially could have been the way it was uprest, uh, but I, I've, I've had this problem before. Yeah. At this point, twenty four hours after watching it, no, it, it's no worse or no better than this problem I've had with three D IMAX type, where it's so big. You're trying to take everything in. It's blurring other objects and things yeah. in the decisions in the surrounding. Yeah, I think it was trying to do a lot in some of the scenes, and I, I think we, we quickly talked about this last night. And I'll, I'll only quickly talk about it here as well. Uh, there's a chase scene where there's about six or seven characters. Some of the zealots that work for Cassilius, uh, plus the ancient one, plus Mordo, plus Stephen Strange, all running through different layers of a city that's folding and folding apart. Um, and it's quite difficult to focus on some of them in the underneath layers. It's kind of like it's drawing your eye towards Cassilius and Stephen, but because the visuals are so beautiful, it's try- you're also trying to drag your eyes away from them to focus on other things, yeah. and there isn't the focus there because of the way that the piece is done. I'm definitely going back to see this in 2D, yeah. and I most likely want to see this one more time in IMAX 3D before it comes out of the cinema. I, I wasn't disappointed to the point that I wouldn't have wanted to spend the extra money to see it in IMAX, I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, I, for, for me, it didn't disappoint me, uh, the, the IMAX 3D, but it, it, it suffered from, uh, the same issues that yeah. I've had with any, uh, IMAX 3D, which is that sometimes the figures can look like really small and they do look slightly kind of disjointed sometimes. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get that so much here, but sometimes you, you, you can sense that it's not, um, an actual person. And then similarly, certainly with a screen as big as IMAX, you're kind of looking around the screen. And for me, who wears glasses as well, half the screen, it, it kind of starts to go blurry or, or, or you start to see the, the different angles sort of coming into the, the screen, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. And I mean, there was one moment where Wong is behind Doctor Strange and purposefully, 
he was slightly blurred, but I was kind of going, is that just how I'm sitting watching the the screen or is that a purposeful direction yeah. and camera shot of the director? You know, so um, sometimes it's, it's a bit problematic, but yeah. it, it's no different and no worse any respect to any other movie. Absolutely. Well, let's get out of the technical aspect of, uh, of 3D and IMAX and get into our points about the, uh, about the movie. Since it was John's birthday, the night we went to see this, and since it's his favorite character, I think we should throw him over the first point. What do you think, Chris? No. And since my Marvel Collector Calls has just arrived uh, today on the 26th of October with my Doctor Strange bobblehead that's levitating magnificently. Um, <laughs> yes, all of those reasons. John, give us your first point. I'm going to go straight in and go Cloak of Levitation, fantastic. If there is one cloak you have to see in a movie this year, (laughs) um, it is the Cloak of Levitation. Mm -hmm. Imbued with so much character with regards to the special effects. I mean, you know, you you saw it in the trailer where... um, Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, whips it round, which is just so cool, just the way it it, it worked. But it it, it did, um, it it came to life. It it had its it, a will of its own. Um, you know, I think what did you say, Derek? Yesterday, it was like the magic carpet coming to life from from um, Disney's yeah. Aladdin. Yeah. Absolutely, um, in in that way. The Ancient One has, oh, you've managed to like tame this cloak. You know, you, you are lucky. But I mean, the, there's two moments where, I mean, not only is it just cool that he's levitating in it and, and so on and, and the whip around the moment where it, it saves his life. It, it blocks, um, attacks on him. And, and there's this one moment where one of the zealots, it's attacking the Sanctorum in, in New York. And it just wraps around his head and just is like banging his head off the floor. It is mm-hmm. so, so good. So funny. And of course, the classic moment where Stephen Strange pulls up the, the collar of the cloak to the, the classic pick your nose collars of Doctor Strange. And, uh, the next thing the cloak starts like wiping his cheek and um, to try and get the blood off it. Like mm-hmm. very, very <laughs> cool. And um, so, yeah, for me, I thought that was so well done. So well done. Loved it. Yeah, agree. So much agreement on this. This was mm-hmm. one of the best kept sequels. This is one of the bits of, I think, about Dan Harmon probably had a huge hand in. <laughs> I really do. They could have so easily have used this in the trailers. It would have made laughs in the trailers. It would have brought probably a few more people in, but it was a perfect surprise. Yes. Like, it was just... It, it caused potentially a lot of the largest laugh out moments uh, in the cinema we were in yesterday uh-huh. not all of them but some of them the majority of them was kind of traced back there was some of the kind of more witty bits that Strange would say and some of the others oh, definitely. but yeah. uh, it would ca- it caught some of the biggest ones and I think it was one of the best overall uses of the cloak levitation now John it, is the cloak levitation sentient in the comic books Yes, yeah, no, okay, it, it, so, it is. Okay. But I mean, it, in many cases, it, it's not as fully realized yeah. as that by any stretch. I mean, it normally is that it makes him levitate. I mean, this had a character all to itself. Yeah. I mean, and I, I love the the protective aspect of this cloak. You know, 
coming in and, and preventing some of the the magic blades that Cassilius was throwing at Doctor Strange mm-hmm. and all of that. And it doesn't right from really the start. Good. It's as if it's attaching itself to him because it knows that this is the new Sorcerer Supreme. You know, it, that's almost what what it, what's given from this cloak. There is also the fantastic scene, a nice little uh, nice little Easter egg as well for those of the most the most recent version of uh, of Doctor Strange, the all new, all different, uh, where he's reaching for his brand new axes. Uh, which are his current weapons in the comic book, and the cloak is pulling him away from it to uh, to show him an even more deadly weapon that he can use against Caecilius. Um, but it's totally slapstick scene. It's hilarious and really got a good reaction from the crowd that was in the cinema as uh, as Stephen tries to fight against the cloak, dragging him back across the floor away from his what what are his current weapons in the comic book. So uh, I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, there's gonna be hatred on that point. I know there is. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I'm already seeing some on my own personal Facebook feed. Ah, people people just going, that had no place being in there. It should have stayed <laughs> as a fight. I'm like, I completely disagree. It was a funny bit. Even you see Cassilius's face kind of just kind of like go, huh? Yeah. And like, so it was perfect. It really was. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the best thing is that now that costume for kids at Halloween kind of dress up as Doctor Strange, they won't be wondering why they're wearing a curtain around their shoulders. They'll be hoping that that curtain will come to life as the Cloak of Levitation does. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think it's just going to be kids who are going to be putting on curtains. I think one of our own Defenders hosts may be putting on curtains, hoping it turns in. I definitely will. I don't think I'll be wearing. Um, I don't think I'll be wearing my curtains at all. Ah, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> you should see the stage of the curtains. Do you want to take us on to your first point, Chris? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to go in quick, and it's one of. I feel that potentially will also be a piece that will come up. Um, and I, 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 anyway, let me get into it. Rachel McAdams. Mm. Oh my God, she's so likable in this. Isn't she? It's she's great, isn't brilliant. She? she is the former lover, the ground, the, the strangest friend, the mm-hmm. grounded. The, she's a grounded actress. I love her as an actress anyway. But. And I, I think you, the, you guys can probably know where I'm coming from on the butt. She does feel a bit underutilized, and I don't know. Now, so we 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 talked about in our uh, the IMAX preview is Clea going to be here? Were they going to do that very much like the uh, Dark Knight Returns at the end? Where spoilers? I guess it's been out a while. I don't care um, if you haven't watched it by now. <laughs> Uh, that Gordon Joseph Levitt used to be called Robin, and you're like, oh my mm-hmm. god! I thought they'd do something like that, that her like middle name, or that she gets possessed by Clea, or she became, yeah. that's where I thought, nope, 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 yep. nope, nope, she's just who she is in this uh, film. And I feel, aside from a kind of like, aside from a, f- a few key scenes where she is needed like the one scene where she's in the the that the the loft with Steven and that uh-huh. okay that is a key scene that she is needed for that she's used for her reactions to the magic 
Okay, yeah, yeah. And I just feel like she could have done more. And I'm wondering, right. is it a potentially a deleted scene piece? I don't, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I've actually had this discussion uh, today with, uh, with Claire Laffer, who's a presenter over on Defenders Podcast. Um, very similar thing about with, with the character of Christine Palmer in this film. I did expect her to be something bigger, to be possibly clear. There's enough letters in her name that you could take C-L-E-A out of... Christine Palmer. I think I mentioned that the first time the character's name was uh, name was mentioned. But um, this character, I, f- I wanted more of her in the film. I wanted more of that character to be around. But she's omnipresent with it throughout the film. She is Stephen Strange's connection to um, to his past life. There's nobody else he contacts in his past life other than Christine Palmer. And the only thing that the writers could have done to keep her involved is the worst thing they could possibly have done. So I'm so delighted they avoided it. If you turn her into the uh, damsel in distress, which means she's hanging around with them on the astral plane, being threatened by the dread Dormammu or Kaecilius. That's the only way you could have kept the character around realistically. And it would have been terrible. It would have been a standard trope for a Marvel movie. And they avoided it with aplomb. What they have instead is they have a character where, where Stephen gets injured. He knows exactly who to go to because he's got a talented neurosurgeon or a talented surgeon on hand where he can bring the ancient one to, where he can bring himself to. She is reacting, as you say, to the magical side of his abilities, but not too much. You know, it's not over the top. It's not... No, they're um, amusing. She's not the comedy... Uh, she's not the comedy foil or anything like that for him, but she's just reacting and kind of going, okay, right, let's just get back to the job at hand. Um, I think they used her really well, but I would like to have seen more, and that's probably one of the only things... Yeah, I mean, I, would say I actually really liked her role in this. Now, okay, I- I'm going to have to be careful that I'm not just uber positive about absolutely everything. <laughs> you can be, movie. don't worry, we'll offset. Um, yeah, no, I, but I, I do feel actually in, in this case, she was actually where she needed to be as a character in the plot when she needed to be, which was at the start and at the end. He's going off to Kathmandu. Um, mm-hmm. sh- why, why would she be there? There's no reason for her to be there. And as you say, I think that omnipresentness, uh, which we catch very briefly where he's looking at uh, sending off another email to her, mm-hmm. it, it is that wa- is that connection back to her. Uh, and the watch as well, absolutely. Um, whereas, you know, at the start, she is the one that really, you know, informs the audience that this guy is as arrogant as he is. And I, I think that's the other side of it. There's that... Um, at least to begin with, um, in, in the initial parts of the, of the movie, you're having to put across an arrogant neurosurgeon without alienating the audience. And, and so what she manages to do there is someone who still is sticking by him, still being likable, as well as I, I think, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch being really good at doing that kind of highfalutin, aloof kind of character Mm. like he does so well in in Sherlock. But at the point where he's overstepped the mark, she does absolutely draw away. And you're given that nod that, you know, it's gone too far even for someone like Christine Palmer. And then at the moment when 
he needs her the most. She, she's back there saving his life. And then I, I loved her moments with the astral projection. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and all of that in, in the operating theater. I just thought it was so good. The only thing I would have thought that could have made it better is that she became, or it was revealed that she was clear. Yeah. Um, however, she wasn't. And so in which case it would be weird for us to see her in Hong Kong on one of these sanctions sanctums and uh, it would have been weird for her to be at Kathmandu and somehow get embroiled I mean is she going to be a try and become a master as well so I I think it, it's there, difficult there'll be no doctors left in the hospital but that that's happens. what I mean I, I think it's difficult to have her um, always there so I thought she was utilized really well in terms of beats about strangers character and about how the audience should effectively be responding uh, to him in, in some way. So, and I, I, I loved that. And I, I loved the moment where the, the mop falls down in, in the, in the storeroom and she just does that whole scream and, <laughs> and yelp. It is. It's just, I, I really, I really enjoyed her role here. I thought, um, yeah, I thought she, she did really well. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, to your point, Chris, I definitely wanted to see more of her. And I think yeah. for me, the good thing is hopefully we're going to get a sequel to Doctor Strange and, and we'll see more of her in there. Um, I don't know whether it was necessary in this particular film. That's all. But no, well, okay. Look, I don't want to sound negative. Okay. Like, no, no. I, and I hope that didn't come across. I really liked her in this film as well. I just wanted more. And I see, mm-hmm. and you know how much I hate tropes. So by the way, you Absolutely. got to say tropes before me. That's so annoying. <laughs> Score. But, uh, and I listened to how much I hate tropes. And I agree with you. <laughs> Potentially the damsel in distress would have mm-hmm. been terrible for it the character, for the, for the actual film, for the mm-hmm. plot. No, I agree. Ten more minutes of a scene. That's mm-hmm. all I think it needed. And yes, her presence is felt through the watch but what they could have done is so in the animated film he he borrows money from the female friend which acts as similar to the kind of christine palmer that we see in this but Mm -hmm. um and they they, it's pretty much beat for beat in some of it but he borrows money from her and then we get seen so that scene would have worked potentially a comedy scene where somewhere when he's learning when he's looking at the watch and he actually projects to look on her like just, I don't know what I want. That that again sounds credit creepy, but I meant more when she was walking around, kind of talking in work, just to check in on her. She is such an integral part in his story in this mm-hmm. film. Um, but it's yeah, it just feels like potentially an underutilization. And you're right though, she could be clear. And in Doctor Strange two or one of the the. And we'll get to that point. I know we're one, all three of us uh-huh. want to talk about that. She'll probably be back in for that. If not as Clea, she'll be a variation or she'll be Christine Palmer. And Christine mm-hmm. Palmer has more variation. Like, I just feel for who she is, for who the character is and who for who the actress is, this should, she should have got a bit more screen time. Yeah. I understand why not, because, but I just would like more. Uh-huh. Yep. But Derek, on my ramblings there, would you like to take us on to your first point? I would. And I think it's really important because when we did our preview uh, and discussed the movie, the one thing we forgot to talk about, which is probably the most important thing of Doctor Strange, is Benedict Cumberbatch himself and his performance in this role. Um, While there are so many, many good actors in this film, 
for me, Benedict Cumberbatch totally sells this film to me. He's in the right frame of mind the whole way through the film. Every time you see him as from the, right at the start, where you see him as the arrogant doctor to begin with, from to the man that's lost everything he has in his life and wants to just spend one final bit of money or get another loan to do another bit of work to try and get his hands back. That version of the character to the slightly comedic character that we see when he finally meets the ancient one. He sells that really well. The, the disbelief that what he's actually got is some gift shop medicine, um, from some crazy woman who's just trying to operate outside of uh, normal legal circles. Um, I think he sells it so well throughout the film. He doesn't have that kind of wide eyed innocence. Uh, that you would have expected from somebody that's seeing the astral plane for the first time and seeing the magic for the first time. I love that what that scene particularly turns into is him going, teach me. I want to know how to use this and how to harness this. Um, it's not the, oh my God, I'm terrified by everything that's going on around me. It is the how you embrace it when you've conquered everything that he had in this medical field. It, it's something that that is sold so well by Benedict Cumberbatch. And I can't imagine anybody else in the row. No, I, I, I'm the same. I, I really thought, um, he got absolutely on point with this character. Mm-hmm. And actually, maybe even better than sometimes he's portrayed in the comic books. I, I think there was ultimately a connection there uh, and a warmth that you could associate with Stephen Strange here, mm-hmm. as well as see him being a bit of an arse, actually, as well. You know, I mean, ultimately, now that was kind of, smoothed and made you know more palatable um with the humor because mm-hmm. i think just having an arrogant guy up there effectively being offensive <laughs> ultimately uh to the ancient one or whoever um that's very difficult to to sell um a movie on sometimes you know uh, certainly a marvel movie i think um so he portrayed that, but he also allowed a warmth, uh, and I think helped by, I think, you know, Christine Palmer and Mordo, who kind of say, well, we can see something else in him. So mm-hmm. all of that, but he did. He absolutely carried this character, I thought, uh, so well from, yeah. from him operating, uh, right at the start of the movie, listening to his tunes, not letting other surgeons anywhere near, um, his own patients or, or saving other people's patients, being really arrogant, you know, dismissing clients or potential clients, all of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Even just the whole, you know, I, don't believe in the power of beliefs or chakras and all that to the ancient one, all this stuff. Yeah. So arrogant that he, he doesn't care about that, uh, rudeness. Yeah. And yet you also do root for him and, absolutely. and he embodies the humor. So absolutely really, um, completely agree with that. And I think just to bring in one of my points as well on this point is just that I thought, his response is strange to the to killing that zealot who I talked about with the cloak of levitation round his his head when they're fighting uh, on the astral plane. Like he kills him, and he is absolutely dead set against that. Like there's his Hippocratic oath. That aspect of him comes right through, and I mean he really 
goes to town on Mordo and the Ancient One mm-hmm. um, about the fact that he, why would he want to be a part of this when he's killing people when his whole life, even if it has been the rich people, has been about saving lives. Yeah. And I, I think that was a really important um, response of Strange there to killing someone. Definitely. That he ultimately has a revulsion for that uh, because of his background as a doctor. Yeah. So I, I absolutely, I, I thought that was a fantastic little section uh, within the movie and, and really an important one as well. Definitely, definitely. Uh, and my last quick point about Benedict Cumberbatch, I really had no problem with the American accent, just so just so it's out there. Uh, we caught it at the start of the movie. We caught a little bit of it in the preview. We didn't mention it in our preview discussion. Um, his accent's absolutely fine for this film. Um, if I don't know if I had a problem with it, it was lost on me in about ten minutes with the amazing visuals that were in this film. So um, I just wanted to say that that it hadn't uh, didn't have an effect at the beginning. It's just seeing Sherlock talk with an American accent is a bit weird, but other than that. It's probably just preconceived notions rather than him having a bad American accent. I'm 100% on you on that. It's, I, I think I talked as we came out, I, want, I said it to you guys. Again, in the echo chamber that is my social media sphere, I have heard people complain about the accent. I've heard people go, it's it's terrible. I'm like, no, that's one of the better American accents. Does anyone remember like Brad Pitt's accent did like the devil's own? Oh wow! Yeah, like <laughs> it, it was so like so for me, Benedict Cumberbatch sold it. Like he probably had a, a voice coach and a dialect coach, and it oh, yeah. shows. It was strange, literally, for mm. the first couple of minutes. I was like, uh, "Why is Sherlock Holmes talking with American accents? <laughs> this is not elementary." Uh, and even in elementary, uh, Johnny Lee Miller has a British accent. So British, yeah. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Is it Sherlock Holmes with um with Robert Downey Jr. Maybe you're thinking of? No, that's definitely not a British. Accent yeah, yeah, it, that was more like that's American with British twang. Yeah. But no, this was a pure American New Yorker. I know a lot of New Yorkers. Now we're all talking like deep New Yorker. We're talking like the ritzy Carlton New Yorker, <laughs> the Stephen Strange, the New Stephen Strange New Yorker. It is jarring. I will say that to our listeners, they'll probably agree. The first couple of minutes you get is like oh why is he talking then it's like oh no it's good and i it it, once you fall into it it makes sense yeah it grows on you yeah absolutely but yeah no and i agree i think benedict Cumberbatch really sold this as a as he sold the role he sold the character he sold the accent the the arrogance imbued not just by his I don't know how to say it. So he even his facial expressions when he's listening to the ancient one, and um, talking about the chakras and stuff like that. Some of the words he doesn't say is even implied just by his look mm-hmm. of like, what the hell are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And then when he gets the pure anger, like the, the he nearly frothes and like you can see it's a man at his tethered end of his wits. If you want to call it that, like, no, this was the perfect, the perfect Doctor Strange. Yeah. And his American accent stands up to sort of the more emotional responses. You know, you can have that moment where someone is acting really well and their accent has been done really well. And there comes a moment where it it gets really to the limit of of emotions and all that. And 
their original accent um, mm-hmm. or voice comes through. Like suddenly they say, don't talk that rubbish to me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, no, definitely a really good, uh, really good uh, actor for this role. Um, John, do you want to take us on to your next point? No, my next point is the magic. I just thought it was really, really well done. Um, I, I loved the shapes. I loved all the, 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 the glyphs and so on that, that they did. I love the fact that it, his time spell moved up his arms. Um, and he had the disc, um, the, the, the shields of Seraphim where he's battling with Dormammu, like fantastic, mm-hmm. really, really good. Um, and, um, don't work the, very well there. The no. Ancient, well, no, because <laughs> he got a spike came from underneath. Um, and also, they weren't the shields of Seraphim, I assumed. They were just magical shields he threw up. They weren't his actual, like, the artifact shields. No, I think the shields of Seraphim are magic created. Mm. Like, that, so the ancient one was also projecting them as well. Oh, okay, crap. Um, at, at the start, she also had something like a, a fan mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that she was using. But I love the fact that not only was um, were they using them as, as shields, but also it felt like they had sharp edges and that they were using them to kind of cut at, at, at attackers. Certainly the Ancient Ones um, fight right at the start of the movie. Oh, yeah. um, I thought that was really good. What I, a way to, to start off a film. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I loved the crackling or sound that came from them as well. I think, again, when we, we left last night from the cinema, it was like saying it was like a, a tenor or, or baritone kind of sparkler going off. It was like it was a proper industrial sparkler going off. And um, that, that crackling was, it just, it felt so kind of visceral, so alive. It was really, really well done. Absolutely. Um, and the alternation between Doctor Strange when he's trying to learn it and his little fizzly sparkler. Yeah, that's, no, that's that I absolutely loved as well yeah. were, um, you know, they're trying to get him to, to, to generate one of the portals, um, and he just can't do it. And it, it is, it's like this little nuggety sparkler going off and not generating anything. Mm. I mean, just so well done. The magic really, um, I thought was outstanding. And even that kind of, uh, opaque blade that was created by Cassilius yeah. as well. Mm. Really, really good. Yeah, definitely. Oh, really, really cool. I have to say, it's one of the things that stood out, um, in the film and it had to like it yeah had it had to, to. it has to work uh, they did a great job the the special effects team did a, such a good job it must have been so weird uh for all of the cast i would say um standing and just you know staring at space and uh, moving their hands left and right and oh it'll all be filled in later yeah uh, <laughs> special effects team get down here it'll be grand don't be worrying about it uh, they did a great job and yeah it really stands out it's it's what had to happen for this film definitely yeah, no, and I'll, I'll come in on this piece at this point as well. I One of the um, questions, concerns, I, I anyway, I think we've, we've talked about this a few times. In you that. had none of them, did you, Chris? No, on, on, no. When it came to the magic, you were like, fine. That's fine. I, I fully understand. No, they explained it, and that was the only thing. I was like, if they went, well, your chakra is connected to your T-bone, and your T-bone's connected to your... <laughs> If they had it gone like Harry Potter, it's like la di da. I'm a Harry Potter fan. Don't worry. anyone who's a Harry Potter fan. I'm a Harry Potter fan. Don't worry. I just yep. meant if they had it gone, use your magic word, wave your wand, and ta da, we're on the astral plane. Like a really Paul Daniels kind of like ta da. There's a really bad showman magic kind of like ta. I I didn't know they explained it brilliantly. 
the visual effect of how the magic was used showed thought was put into this. And it was one of the massive hat tips I have for this crew, for this writing, for the visual effects artists, the director, the visual effects director. The whole lot is that... So that sparkle was the, the molecules, the connections that they talked about and crafting the symbols um, and like having the, the having to spin your hands in a certain way, not just your hands, but spin your mind and focus the, the electrons and the molecules to change the map. It made sense. And that's the thing. This is the thing that... This is what could have destroyed this film in Absolutely. terms of not Definitely. not having... It grounded it. It basically... That's where this could have gone wrong is when you're introducing a an element of magic mm-hmm. to a universe that has gods in the form of Asgardians, but that's been explained as aliens. You've mm-hmm. got men flying in and super soldiers, men flying in mechanical means, but then when you go... Well, this guy's gonna come over and go, da 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 da, and then suddenly there's a magic bird coming out of his hand. That would have ruined it. Mm-hmm. This basically says, okay, no, he he's able to create a shield out of changing molecules because he's able to control matter to that, and that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I'm really glad they didn't do for da da da. Come on, although that would be not work. It would be like Benedict Cumberbatch. Casilius, uh, for da 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 and you think, oh, I see your for da da da, and I raise you a kacha. It would have been the worst battles. Like, Ba-doo, it would have been Ba-doo. awful. Would have been absolutely it, it awful. It really no, I, would have been dreadful. I like that they kind of took. I think it felt like the Matrix. Really, it felt like that kind of concept within a film where. It can totally break a film if you set it up badly. See The Matrix 2 and 3. Um, <laughs> or it, when you sell it really well, it can uh, it can change your entire perception of the universe around you, um, which is what I think they did in this film. Yeah, the, the writers did a great job. And as we said, the guys who actually did the magic uh, or did the special effects for the magic did a great job of showing exactly how one action creates this uh, this magic in this world. No, absolutely. And I, another thing I thought in terms of the magic that was really good, uh, I don't know whether it was so much magic, but it was they summoned the mirror realm. Um, and that was that fractal look to the, um, to the screen and, and, and mm-hmm. to the action going on within the screen. I really thought, like, again, as a device, this idea that no one else can, it helps contain the magic or, or the, the mystical threat. Um, and it prevents other people from seeing what's going on. I thought that was a really smart way of trying to, and explaining why everyone isn't actually seeing this. Yeah. Um, and we see the ancient one again throw that up very early on, um, in, in the movie as she's confronting Cassilius and his acolytes, yeah. um, at the time. So uh, I, I thought that was again another really good use of the magic, um, but also the realms as well. Definitely. So Chris, what's your next point? Come with me on a journey, if you will. This is going to sound like a negative point, but I swear, John, I swear, by the end of it, you will agree with me and it will be a positive point. There's a thing out there among movie critics and uh, the the movie 
watching elite, if you want to call it that. The people who think that we are going to get a point where superhero films have uh, our saturation point. And after so many comic book movies we've had, like this is what, this is the 14th MCU film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've had a lot. And okay, so there are unavoidable echoes in this film of films that I've come before. The well-off, arrogant, sarcastic guy that's brought down a peg after a near-death experience and then remade into a true hero that he was always to be. This harkens eight years ago back to Iron Man 1. It can if you you can if you boil it down to that. Yeah, no, no, I know. But if it's those elements, those those beats, if you want Mm. to call it that. And then, so I'm sure people are going to make correlations to that film. And it's not a bad thing. This doesn't mean like Iron Man 1 is still one of my favorite, it's potentially the top uh, MCU film for me, just based on right. what it was. But then some people are going to see Batman Begins in this film. Some people are going to see because it's a man travels abroad and studies with a secret group. And then the, the even though his motivations are different, they're still going to see Batman Begins. So it's like going to this Indian Himalayas type thing, getting secret yeah. knowledge. And. Like it or not, those echoes are there. Mm-hmm. I and it, it's it's also the one. There's a the reason potentially for this is these are comic book films and this is like based on comic books and these th- there's a reason you a lot of professors li- literature professors in the big universities when they're doing breakdowns on modern English novels there's only comedies and tragedies and even comedies or tragedies like they boil mm-hmm. everything can be boiled down. For me, this I don't think they did a bad thing here they went with it that's the thing there's going to be detractors who go oh well iron man did it it's basically iron man with magic no it's not oh it's basically batman begins because he goes and he learns us with a secret group no it's not <laughs> it's like scott derrickson uh robert cargyle the the kevin Feige, who i i assume had a, a large hand in this because he is a strange fan i believe they took the Doctor Strange origin, and went, okay, well, look, we know we need to hit this point, this point, this point. If they hadn't stayed true to the origin of Doctor Strange in the comic books, John would have no hair left. He would have been crying, <laughs> and he would have just been sobbing in the corner because this is a beloved character. Like, this really is. He's a character from the 60s. Mm-hmm. So there's the plethora of lore and everything that they had to pull from. But they did it right. And I think this is the thing that people are going to... There are going to be detractors. And I think when you start going into those detractors and looking at those points going, well, I didn't like it because it was too much like this film from eight years ago, the first Marvel film. You're going, well, it's not. Yeah, I, I kind of get a feeling that a lot of those would be pre-written um, when you do that kind of comparison. You know, there are comparatives in, in Marvel films specifically, but at the end of the day, you're, you're absolutely right, Chris. You know, there are, uh, you, you could boil any story down to, a, down to a very simple structure and uh, a start, middle and an end is the, is the simplest boil down of a movie. Uh, that was changed up a couple of times in movies. Uh, this is a very different story. This is a very different character. Um I, I totally agree with you. It's, and it's, a different journey as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, and different starting point. I mean, it, it is. I mean, I understand what you're saying and I, I definitely can, 
can hear that. But I, I think at the end of the day, you know, they do say there's only what six actual storylines yeah. yeah. or something. And again, it, it's that boiling it down. However, you know, he's, he's not a billionaire like, uh, Stark or indeed, uh, Bruce Wayne. He's actually a doctor. Yes, he's an arrogant one, but we do see the Hippocratic Oath element comes out quite strongly uh, in, in a confrontation with the Ancient One and with Mordo from him. That's not the same as Tony Stark. He's an arms dealer. Um, so there are differences. And, and I mean, yeah, if you're a critic going, oh, well, that's the same, 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 uh, without looking at the nuances... I mean, you, that's or what you've got to look much, at. Or you've, how much is different yeah, in this film as well. Um, and, and the type of character that um, that's being introduced and, and, and the journey. I mean, I absolutely get it that, you know, I mean, if I'm honest, the thing that maybe is a slight negative for me, I'm absolutely over the moon uh, for this movie and that it was an origin tale. But I have said in previous podcasts that as a Doctor Strange fan, that I am concerned about origin overload for Doctor Strange. It is one of his best stories and one of the best origin stories, I think, in the Marvel Universe mm-hmm. um, and and how he comes to what he does. Um, the thing is, I think it's so good. I think there is an argument that potentially within Marvel, within all its forms of cartoons, comics, and now film... Um, that it's been done multiple times. And you'll only have to look at our Summer of Strange series to realize that's kind of the case. That's my only yeah. probable main criticism. And it's coming from being a Doctor Strange fan yeah. from way back and really committed. But his origin is absolutely necessary within the scheme of the MCU. So I, I I don't have a problem with that. But it is one of those things where um and it does it is slightly weird in that, you know, there was this talk that well, they're gonna try and pair back from origin tales or introduce people you know like black panther but also spider-man into and um, all the movies so effectively their origin is a bit more diffused with yeah. um within films that aren't their own and then you get their own film and you know i get that as well that's really good but i think doctor strange requires that setup of his particular part of the Marvel Universe in the same way that effectively Iron Man required that and in the same way that Thor requires that. And actually, in the same way that um, Black Panther is going to get when they uh, eventually get to Wakanda. I mean, that's a whole new different area that is going to... And ultimately, it will have origins. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I loved it. So, screw you, critics. <laughs> and I, I think, look... And I'm going to put this out here, and we talked about this when we were walking away from the cinema last night. I honestly think that this is one of the best origin tales. Mm-hmm. And I know the, I each of us have a, probably like like my one of my favorite origin tales still to this date is Iron Man One, but this is up here with it. And mm-hmm. Derek, you, yours is Captain America: First Avenger. Now John yeah. has this. Yeah. This is one of the best. It's they they've learned from mistakes. It's not like Spider Hyphen Man, which opened wire, and the Amazing Spider Man. 
with uh, Andrew Garfield, where it was beat for beat, same issues, same origins. Mm-hmm. They learned what makes a film. They they learned how to tell the origin, tell the universe, or tell the the mythos of what the magic element is. Yeah. And actually, no, you've still got this wham in the Avengers, and it's still in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think there's a, a really important reason for that. You know, when, when Iron Man came out and when Captain America came out as films, those characters were sixth string characters. They were, you know, uh, they were consigned to, uh, books that were failing. Um, things like the, uh, like Spider-Man and X-Men were selling, you know, six, seven times the number of comic book copies that those characters did. Doctor Strange is in that same position. He is that lower tier of Marvel characters that a lot of people don't know. They see him, you know, appear in the Avengers. They see him appear in New Avengers. In the background, they see him appear in the occasional Hulk book. Um, but nobody knows his origin because it hasn't been told in a while. And they ha- he hasn't had his own book in a while. So it's really good that they've been able to kind of pair it all the way back to the start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and take this character and do a good origin story for him uh, on film. I think it, it's, it is definitely one of the best, as you say, John. Definitely. So, Derek, what's your next point? My next point is about the kind of opposite side of what they do in this film. So the origin story is a very finite, here you go, here's Doctor Strange, here's here's his story, this is how he becomes the Sorcerer Supreme, or how he gets the powers and becomes one of the masters of the mystic arts. The other thing that this movie opens up hugely is the endless possibilities, as the ancient one might say. <laughs> um, I wanted to spend this entire movie inside the astral planes and the other um, the other dimensions that we see for about 10 minutes, I think, uh, on screen, they are so wonderfully realized. Uh, we mentioned it before, but the, the concept of having, you know, the one dimension filled full of uh, softness and light and fur- fuzzy bunnies, <laughs> another dimension filled full of the darkness and bitterness of the human soul, uh, or the un- another universe filled full of something else. It really took a great idea and concept of going through the different dimensions that are uh, that are circling and surrounding these masters of the mystic arts who are able to get in and out of them, uh, much more so than I thought they were going to do uh, after, I think, our discussion about uh, Thor 2, uh, where, they, where they'd gone through a couple of the different planes of reality that they have in uh, access to through the, the light bridge. Obviously, the pocket universe in, in Ant-Man has some kind of elements of that. Um, but what they do here in this movie where Strange is going through a bunch of different dimensions that are being shown to him by the Ancient One, it really just wanted, it really made me want to spend loads more time and see the fact that this is setting up something brand new that can go on for decades more with stories taking place on all of those different dimensions. Completely agree. And not only that, but I mean, I think just to extend that further, I actually think these are the best action um, scenes in any of the Marvel uh, films, if I'm totally honest and being unbiased. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, that that start-off fight with the buildings moving around between the Ancient One and Cassilius, mm-hmm. I think the, 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 the chase through the folding skyscrapers and um, were the then on that final sort of plinth, all these different elements uh, were Doctor Strange is, is falling through uh, down a gangway and uh, things are enclosing that Cassilius is running underneath all these chases and action sequences uh, coupled then with the magic that they're and the spells that they're casting the fly through of 
different realms that the ancient one takes um Stephen Strange after he's just arrived yeah. um at, at the temple I actually think these are um just all fantastic action sequences done in this topsy-turvy mixed up uh, back to front worlds which I just think I mean for me anyway I'm sorry um That's fine. I'm sorry Josh Whedon um it it beats any panning 360 degrees uh, around the Avengers. I love those sequences as much as as anyone else in the Avengers. I was just using that as an example. But Chris angry but continue. <laughs> but I just thought there was something additional added Absolutely. to the action. And I don't just mean fighting. I I just no, no. mean realizing Doctor, Doctor Strange um, on, stre- on yeah. screen is huge for you. I totally understand that. Obviously, the scene where we have in the Avengers realizing all four Avengers or all five Avengers at the time standing in a circle being filmed like as if they're in a comic book again. That's a huge moment. For yeah, no, it's awesome. It's well. absolutely awesome as well. John, I'm going to say something that never again is going to come into my <laughs> my vocabulary. Okay, don't swear. <laughs> this is a PG-rated podcast. No, look, I think it's completely separated, so I actually agree with both of you. Yeah, no, it is. But You're right. for me, visually... Doctor Strange, visually, in the setting of the universe, the setting of the world, the setting of the magic, the the breaking of the car, the mirror universe, this was stunning. And I will give it to this film. I I spent potentially about 30 seconds looking at when they run across the crossroads. I was looking at the cards, the cars that were crossing the crossroads, just disappearing into nothing, and yeah. then reappearing up. I was like, that's amazing i was like i want to play that game because it'd be like okay do you remember those that there's a really famous painting where it's all these stairs folding into different each other and stuff like that yeah mc escher yes stuff. Yeah. yeah that's what this reminded me of mm-hmm. and the the world the world bending imagery and the portrayal of the mind through these micro or the mind and the universe like with the hands Oh, just, oh, but we had seen tasters of this. So that's why I expected some of it. And I, they, they, they kind of, they put my brain and visual eyeballs on acid. It was amazing. <laughs> but the action, per se, outside of the magic and the flipping, I'll always go to the Avengers and the Iron Mans and the Captain Americas and mm-hmm. the, the, the 360 spin because I think that's a, something that's greater than the sum of its parts. Captain America oh, yeah. threw a motorbike over his head and yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. It, it, was, it, was awesome. it was absolutely awesome. Exactly. Loved it. Wait till you see in Affinity Wars that 360 shot when mm-hmm. you have not just what we have seen to date, which is like the Hulk and the Thor throwing the hammers, when we start adding in what I want to see, which is Spider-Man twipping in, kind of like 360, hitting someone in the face. Like we started seeing in Civil War. Twipping? Twipping. You know, when he swings, it's like, twip, twip, with those webs. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, That's twip, fine. twip. It's the same he makes. Twip, twip. But then, on top of that, you'll have Doctor Strange firing off, like, his fa-da-da-da spells. No, you have him doing his spells, which would be amazing. And I think... This is what the MCU 
and I hope the other directors and visual artists learn from, which is, mm-hmm. and I think they probably will have, because we know that Ego, The Living Planet's coming into Garden Galaxy Volume 2. It's not a spoiler. It's it's well known. He's been, it's literally out there. He's cast. It's Kurt Russell. Yeah, it's Kurt Russell. How he's going to be a living planet, I don't know. But anyway, he has a moustache, I think. No, Chris, it's endless possibilities. Ah, exactly. And I think that's it. In Infinity War, they don't need to just do a 360 anymore. They can do an absolute globe around all of them up. Exactly. 360 from top to bottom, 360 from any angle. They can shoot all the Avengers through the 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 different dimensions. Thor can come in from another realm, and it'd be fantastic. And I think, the look, so the one thing, and just the only thing I want put out there on this point, because this was one of my points too, so you know people are going to go, oh, Doctor Strange, you mean that Inception knockoff? I am putting it, I am literally saying, no. Inception did this really well, what, four, four, four years ago... They did that. It's completely different. Yeah, I think, I think again, that's one of those things that people would get from the trailer. If you go see this film, and all of our listeners have now seen this film, yeah. you know this is nothing like Inception, definitely. Yeah. I'm going to end this point on, my God, that nightmare-like sequence with the hands. Mm. So the hands oh, coming yeah, out, yeah. and then his hands turning into fingers, turning into hands, turning into fans, turning in. I was like, that is my nightmares. And where he's hanging on to the iris as he shoots through his own eyeball. And then he's kind of, he's disintegrating and reforming. And it's just, it was like, that's going to be stuff my nightmares, stuff my dreams. Because can you just imagine if they made like a high end game of this? This would just be visually spectacular. And I'd Mm -hmm. love to live in it. But on that note, Derek, can you give us your next point? My point is about the final battle. Can we go on to that? Yeah, we can go on to mm-hmm. that. Can we move to the final battle in Hong Kong? Because uh, it's something that I noticed immediately after watching it in the cinema, that the final battle of Hong Kong, where he's using the time gem, uh, which we haven't even talked about at all, <laughs> inside the, the Eye of Agamotto, um, as Stephen Strange uses the time gem to effectively rebuild an entire city, contrary to how or what's happened at the end of pretty much every single Marvel MCU movie, uh, up to, obviously, Civil War, which did not end with the destruction of a, of a city. Um, but I like this. This is almost like a two fingers up from Marvel to uh, to critics who've been saying they're getting stale and the end of the film always ends with them destroying a city or a country. Uh, it was almost like their own little two fingers up going... Ah, no, we rebuild them as well, (laughs) which I just thought was a nice touch. But it was also fantastically done. I loved the music by Michael Giancano in the background as the music is played backwards as the city reforms itself. Uh, I love the way they do the zealots falling inside of things, reforming themselves. One gets trapped inside a fish tank that's being pulled back up. Cassilius gets trapped inside a wall that's being built back up around him. Uh, I thought it was a really cool, another, you know, at the end of a movie that had so many cool visual effects, I thought this was a really cool way to do it, uh, have them all uh, kind of walking forward within a city being transformed back to its former self. Yeah, I mean, they effectively dropped a dimension onto Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And yet it got made better. It was very good. <laughs> By the healing hands and the time gen of Doctor Strange. Yeah. yeah. I, I really liked the fact that they showed him using that, that, that he wasn't supposed to, um, and, and doing that whole thing on the apple uh, and the core and then like moving it back. So it's, it's actually molding, uh, like, because it was 
I think the great thing that I got from this movie was that it felt like Doctor Strange had learnt his abilities. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, he wasn't supposed to know about the time gem or or cast that kind of spell, but he had done. And so it wasn't like he was coming up with um, these... Uh, these new spells just like that out of nowhere, which I think would have also, um, it would have undermined it. I love the fact that through the portals, through the shields, through the, the, the kind of the whiplash thing, all of those different types of things, we had seen him do those exact motions and learn those things. Mm-hmm. And it, it ties into that whole scene where the ancient one says, well, how did you get to become a, a doctor through, through practice and, and, and learning? You know, it was, there wasn't a surprise that just came <laughs> out of it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it wasn't just that he picked up a brand new relic, pointed it at Dormammu or Cassilius, and then that's the end of the movie, you know? <laughs> um, it, it was, it did, it did show the progression of the character definitely really well, I thought. Did he go, for da 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 da? Picked up the time show and went, for da 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 But even that moment where he picks up that kind of vase that's like spewing out light, and Cassilius just goes, you don't know how to use that, do you? And he's like, no, and he like just tries to smash it, you know? And the fact that, in effect, you know, the cloak of levitation's got its own mind. So, like, Doctor Strange really ain't doing that mm-hmm. that much to it. I really enjoyed that. I yeah, thought. definitely. Uh, I'll, I'm going to jump in on this one as well. Just, um, we'll get to do Manu in a minute, by the way. Yes. We need, we need to talk about that and the time stone. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the two of them. But um, I agree on this, and I think you guys... This is not a Neo-type moment where he just wakes up and goes, I'm Nose, I can do everything. That's a Matrix reference from earlier in this episode, by the way. See, they're bringing it all back, bringing it all I back. Like it. Okay, yes, we got a montage. Luckily, it wasn't an 80s-style montage where he was, like, <laughs> running up steps. I, I, I thought they'd do that for a joke, by the way. Kind of just see him run up some steps kind of job. Or, like, anyway. Or float up using the clothes. Yeah, exactly. I just thought it would be funny. But, no, what I just saw... What I saw and what I enjoyed is the, the him picking up the books in the montage was brilliant because you see that he was taking four, five, six, seven at a time. Mm. That was so funny. That was through the portal in the library, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the sling rings. He was he once he learned to use the sling ring, he was just grabbing. But the more important part is they showed his body asleep. I think that's what people will miss. His body yeah. was asleep, and then he was astral projecting, reading the books. Mm-hmm. That's how he got so good so quick. So cool. That yeah. that when because that would have been a bad negative point for me if if they didn't show some of those bits where he was or explain why how he picked it up so quick. He said he had a yeah. photographic memory. Bang, that's one point. Two, he read he, and he's reading when he's in astral projection. Once he learned how, mm-hmm. that is the thing. There'll be some naysayers again who miss it and go, oh, oh, now I understand. Once they explain it to them, and I, I think I brought up naysayers quite a lot in this podcast so far it's because based on all the superhero films that have come out 2016 all of them have had naysayers Deadpool had naysayers and that was one of the best Batman v Superman for both right and wrong reason had naysayers detractors we're at that point but that's okay that's why people come to our podcast we're not naysayers no and I just there's a reason I'm breaking this is because 
If this is your first time on listening to this, I f- should tell you. Typically, I come in with some of the negative points. I think that's why John was like scared of me talking on this podcast today. <laughs> but no, mute, 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 mute now. Just find out out of it another dimension. <laughs> We've had about enough of you, Chris. Yeah. Okay. Stop uh, for the. Um, but no, I think that's the thing. Like they, they, they showed his progression in this. Mm-hmm. John, do you want to take us on to your final point? It's kind of my final point. Yeah, I think let's talk about the the bad guys. Um, you know, firstly, we got Dormammu here, mm. um, which I have to say I was so, so pleased about. I believe that Benedict Cumberbatch did the, the facial um, movements and gestures of him in, in yep. the... In the dark dimension. Very cool. Um, and I just thought he looked really, really good. Um, I really wanted to see him in, in the movie. I wanted him to be that behind the scenes bad guy. I really did. I was, I'm absolutely really pleased that he was, that he was the motivating factor for Cassilius. I really enjoyed how they treated him. Um, in, in terms of his look within the movie. Yeah. Um, like, the only thing I'm wondering is that, you know, Dormammu is this huge bad guy, hugely omnipotent, yet he is kind of defeated by Doctor Strange with the time gen. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping they haven't maybe just undermined his, his threat for maybe a future film. Um, I don't think for this one that that wasn't the case, mm-hmm. but I just wonder whether his threat um, is is diminished. But I mean, you know, there's loads of ways they can go around that by saying, you know, he now has a conception of time, and therefore, you know, he he can take on different realms and, and dimensions and yeah. and have that build that knowledge in in the consumption of all these different dimensions. I would have liked to have seen him as he got more frustrated with Doctor Strange. It would have been fantastic if he had just lost lost the plot and his whole head goes up on flames. It didn't really get that. Like, yeah. Yeah. like the frustration boils through and, and you know, in, in the same way that moment like in Lord of the Rings where the Balrog kind of expands his chest and it just crackles into flames. Mm. Um, I thought that would have been like really good to, to have seen. Absolutely. Um, For those of our listeners who don't know the character of Dormammu from the comic books, um, he does normally have a flaming head. That yeah. isn't just him setting himself on fire. <laughs> um, I presume you didn't want that to happen. No. So. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And and so, um, but I still I loved how he was projected within the movie mm. just regularly. I think um, I think just always having that that burning head would have been a bit weird potentially Uh, but i think a moment of it would have been superb um and it it, that was the only thing i i wish we had seen was his kind of his flame on basically yeah Um, i I love that he was kind of hidden in plain sight throughout the uh, the promotional material absolutely Um, like all the way back to the to one of the early trailers you see dr strange standing over a book with kind of what I had thought was kind of the, the mirror dimension, so kind of broken glass above the book. That was Dormammu. That's what Mordo and, uh, and Wong see when they see him looking at the book or with, and with, uh, with the time stone in front of him, uh, the eye of Agamotto, sorry, uh, in front of him. 
that's what they see. They all see that Dormammu's being projected from the book in front of them. That was right there. That that had been there the whole time, all the way back when we were looking at, at stills of the movie, you know? But I love that he's been hidden in plain sight the whole time. That was quite cool. Yeah, that was very cool. Yeah. Even beyond the uh, hidden in plain sight, they kept this a secret. Mm-hmm. We we all kind of said, yeah, we'd love... We all thought Cassilius was the big bad. Uh, Derek had an inkling after seeing some stuff, kind of, and we kind of... Slightly, I think we slightly discussed it in our, our IMAX preview. We did. But most other films would have done... And here's Dormammu! Yay! <laughs> and done the flaming head! And, like, and, yes. he would have been... He would have got his own character sheet and, and the promotion material. Yes, those films fail. Exactly. But also they get to go, yay, Dormammu! Because that would have been brilliant. If you can imagine Dormammu with that voice. Hi, Stephen! <laughs> I'm Dormammu! Yes, that, that may have undermined his threat even more. Just like I, I, I would have thought. Just a bit. I want to talk about Cassilius. Mm, yes. I also want to talk about very quickly. The, the the well-known issue that Marvel Cinematic Universe films talk and get kind of kind of pushed on in the fact that sometimes the bad guys are the weak link of the films. Mm. To a degree, Cassilius is not going to change that reputation. Uh, Mad Mickelson is brilliant. I'm putting that out yeah. there. Great. Portrays the character. Um... Uh, it's not like he has nothing to do and they, him and Cumberbatch have some really fun interplay but the character of Cassilius is not fully realised in yeah, it's this. it's such a shame. It's yeah, such a shame. Definitely. I, I, it, it's definitely a structural thing um, where, you know, they're having to go through Doctor Strange's origin so much that to an extent, then his antagonist in this is reduced. And I, I would actually say that, um, of all the characters, potentially more so than, I know you had said that about Christine Palmer, but that it's Cassilius and maybe even Mordo that don't get enough screen time here. Mordo will get back to. You're right. It's exactly what the Christine Barmer kind of Rachel McAdams says. They lacked two, one to two scenes to flesh him out a bit further. Like, we're given a bit of his backstory. We hinted at it. He had the kind of the troubled life. He was brought a broken man by the mind. He alludes to it as well. We get his connection to the Ancient One. Nicholson really sells that kind of like he's a bad guy but the same it it's the it's the civil war issue i said it's just like they used it great of what they had from baron zemo they they used the great elements it's just not enough they could have gone a bit further oh that was the issue you had with civil yes, war. yes exactly sorry now he's a decent antagonist up to the Dormammu point and then he just literally becomes a non-standout kind of henchman at mm. that end. Or Ash. Or, yeah, yeah henchman <laughs> slash Ash. And it just, yeah. I think, this... The- I think I think it's such a disappointment because there are preview comics that come along with all of the Marvel films. Uh, this time they chose to do three preview comics, uh, two physical ones, which I think we gave away in our Summer Strange competition, um, and one digital-only uh, comic book. 
And it's when you realize Marvel are also a comic book company and they like telling bits of their stories in comic books. Um, weirdly, they chose, uh, the two, the two physical comic books that they gave out, uh, to tell some of the backstory of, of Baron Mordo and how close he is, or just Mordo in this movie, and how close he is to the ancient one. They chose another one to talk about relics and what they are and uh, about someone stealing one from, uh, from, the masters of the mystic arts and the third one the digital comic was Caecilius's story and i specifically said to the guys not to read it until they went into the film because i thought it would ruin Caecilius's story it is his full backstory it's the reason why he is a broken man it's the reason why he is sent and goes to work with the ancient one and it gives the whole reasoning behind why this character is there and it's a really well worth well worth a read but it should have been in the film mads mickelson can totally play a part of this kind of character that is broken down and broken down and broken down and eventually rises back up um, to go and take on the mantle and then turns on everybody. Uh, that would be a great arc for the character and they totally could have incorporated in this film. It wouldn't have taken a huge amount. And it does feel like once again, Marvel have cut out some elements that they really could have kept in the film in order to just provide a simple strategy for the bad guy. He's a bad guy. He wants to rob a book. He's working for Dormammu. Okay, Grant, do you not know, not know who Dormammu is? Uh, we'll see him later in the film kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think um, I, th- I think he uh, needed some more screen time, definitely. But, I mean, yeah, I suppose ultimately it would have simply pushed the movie to two and a half hours, which... Okay, that's happened before. We would have watched it. Um, yeah, certainly. Um, it, it would have been nice to have seen some of that backstory from the Prelude comics um, in here, told in a way that maybe um, has a, an extra, even just five to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would definitely have that that issue here with Cassilius, um compared to, say, uh, Christine Palmer. One of the things I really enjoyed, and I wasn't entirely sure, I still definitely need to check this on second viewing, but when he gets turned effectively into a henchman and sucked into the, the dark dimension, him and the two other acolytes, their eyes go red. Mm. Uh, and I did wonder whether they... That was them becoming mindless ones. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Uh, and that would be very cool that we've just seen the mindless ones enter the MCU as mm-hmm. well. Certainly in regards to say a future uh, Doctor Strange movie. John, so. can you just explain to our listeners what the mindless ones are? The mindless ones are basically exactly that. I mean, they are like this army of extra-dimensional beings that can. Uh, and will just destroy things. Yeah. Um, they have red eyes. They're ten- generally just kind of grey bodies. Um, and I mean, they 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 are even um, you know they they even have the possibility of attacking Dormammu. Um, so that they're, they're pretty strong and in large in number. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they 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 live in the other dimensions, but they're effectively. Um, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like zombies to an extent, but really strong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think I, I thought the same. Um, but we've 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 spoken about two of the bad guys. Can we talk about the the third bad woman? Mm. Yes. Uh, well, first thing we just say on this: Tilda Swinson, she knocks this out of the park. Definitely. Oh, this is an amazing actress who took this role, took it seriously, 
didn't did yes they they changed they took liberties with the character but they didn't they they made the ancient one can be anyone yeah can i can i just can i just quickly talk about that tiny thing the ancient one is hardly a character in the comic books it's a very paper thin concept in the comic books and yeah tilda swinton knocks this idea of who this character is out of the park yeah definitely the lead up to and then the reveal was quite well done. Yeah, definitely. Um, I didn't. I loved it. Didn't know it was coming. It wasn't signposted. It was signposted at two minutes before they actually confronted her. We didn't get the reveal that she was had been keeping herself alive by using the dark dimension energy, and mm-hmm. to some people, she is a bad person. She is yeah. a villain because of this, because she is consorting or using the the Dormanu's negative energy to keep herself alive. It it was a good character twist in that she's not this pure being of white light. She's a good being doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought this really added sort of just nice shades to this character to be honest um you know it it was that element of do as i say don't do as i do um and and the reveal of that was was really good i thought it really helped um as i say add some extra levels and dimensions to the ancient one she wasn't just this 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 person who who taught the sorcerers it was that you know she was doing something that could be construed as bad in order, as you say, to do good. Um, she needed to, to draw on that dark dimension power. Um, and I, I, I thought it worked really wonderfully well. And I thought that moment where Stephen Strange and her astral planes are together, uh, as she's dying. Um, I thought that was really, uh, fantastic. I thought it was really poignant. And again, another level to, to this character, which again, really helped. Okay. You know, Cassilius needed more, but it really helped to understand that he had found out that she was doing that. And that was at least part of the reason for his rebellion against his former um, master. Uh, He wanted some of what she was having, basically. Um, And also, I loved how it tied into Mordo as well. You know, I thought that was just so good i mean that looks to be honest like it's going way of the weird um in terms of the current doctor strange comic arc that that is is running mm-hmm. um this idea that in that post credit scene he says the problem is is that there are too many sorcerers as he takes the chi or the life force from pangborn's uh, body and he kind of collapses to the the floor uh, paralyzed again um you know i really love the the motivations that she sets up by uh, dipping her toe into the dark dimension so to speak yeah i think we've gone through our top five points and we're now going into our post-credit scenes so um there is that crossover and that's one of the one one of the points i didn't want to make about that post-credit scene with mordo is that it does feel like it should belong in the film um this is very similar to the one that was in 
civil war that we talked about during that podcast that uh, there's a scene at the end of the film that feels like it should be before the credits even start rolling rather than waiting until the end of the movie. Uh, this moment with Mordo uh, really did feel like it belongs in the movie. It, it puts a resolution on Pangborn's story. The guy who um, who was in a wheelchair went to uh, went to work with the Ancient One and stole the power to be able to make himself walk again or stole the magic to be able to make himself walk again. That magic is being taken back out of him by Mordo. And as you say, that's what sets up the end of magic arc, which is the current arc yeah. in the Doctor Strange comic books. Um, so quite a huge scene, I suppose, and a great one for the fans of the comic books to see that Mordo is now turning and is becoming a bad guy in a way because he wants to take all the magic that's been given out into the world. He wants to take it all back and take away all the magic users. Quite a cool uh, post credit scene, I thought. Yeah, really good, yeah. I think it was more than that. We briefly talked about this on our kind of... Uh, on our. Show ramble or kind of a meander home last night um i think this is how the infinity war part one or part two magic is introduced into it i think thanos will get his potentially his minions or whatever will get their ass whipped by dr strange Uh oh i need a magic wielder who hates who hates sorcerers the sorcerer mm-hmm. supreme or the other masters i know just the person or I know there is a person out there like that, he'll go get Mordo. Mm-hmm. Because Thanos is all technology and space and all that, mm-hmm. with the Infinity Gauntlet, yes, that's fine, he can do all the, 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 the reality warping, if you want to call it that, but he yeah. doesn't have anything about magic. So this, I think, they tried they tried to set it up, so he's going to be the bad guy, I think, potentially in Doctor Strange 2, but which this should have been the last scene, it was like Fade to Black, then the scene, then fade to black, and then credits. Yeah, that's what should have been. Yeah. Uh, I I wonder, and I I said to you guys last night, I wonder if they just didn't have Spider Man ready. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think I think Spider Man's big moment this year was was Civil War, and they're going to keep him now for for the next movie. Well, the, he the, he is the next he is the next movie. No, Thor not, is. Not, yeah, Thor is the next one. Yeah. So so okay. What's the uh, hmm. Yeah, I just don't know. I think well, we got Thor. We get that bit. That's great. Right. Let's let's uh, yeah. Let's, let's move break, on to move the, on to the scene, next so. one there. Uh, so yeah, obviously there is also the mid credit scene, which is uh, a direct reference to uh, the new Thor Ragnarok movie. We did see that little uh, little clip put in um, a couple of months ago of uh, of Thor picking up the address for the Sanctum Sanctorum, and that scene plays out at the end of uh, of Doctor Strange, where he goes to visit. Uh, Ducky Strange in his in his big seat in the Sanctum Sanctorum, in an, a really good scene, a really good humor scene, uh, showing a bit of the sense of humor that is purportedly going to be in the new Thor movie. Uh, a kind of road trip with uh, with Thor, Loki, and uh, and the Hulk is the uh, is what people are guessing it's like. Um, I really like the scene. I must say, I thought it was a, a good kind of capper in the middle of uh, the middle of uh, of the credits, um, having having our wonderful Chris Hemsworth there. Uh, with his pint of beer, the never-ending pint of beer, the perfect uh, yeah, that was ale cool. for the gods, really. Um, and yeah, I was wondering about whether they would go as far as this being something that happens at the end of Thor Ragnarok, where Doctor Strange goes, so all you want is just to get your father back. He's over there. Take him and feck off back to uh, back to um, to Asgard. You know, <laughs> I was wondering if it's that's going to be how he shows off his power, and they finish a comedy film with that comedy moment of Strange going, "I'm kind of powerful." Uh, 
there you go. Why didn't you come to me first? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think it's going to work <laughs> like that somehow. Yeah, I, I really like that post credit scene. I love the fact just the beer gag was was cool. Um, I, I like the fact that Stephen Strange is wearing his kind of orangey-yellow gloves that is part of his traditional costume. Uh, and I think that tied in quite nicely with him at the end of the actual movie, looking at his hands that are still scarred, still shaking. I, I, mm. I kind of really like the fact that, you know, from, from his accident, his hands are problematic to him all the way through this movie. I mean, he doesn't stop the shakes of, yeah. of the hands and um, like you think he would be able to. Um, and, and it's kind of like then in this post credit scene, he's covered them up. Um, yeah. you know, we've moved on from that moment, from, from the end of the movie. And, and this is sometime sort of in, in the future from that. And he's, he's covered up his hands with the gloves to hide the scarring. Like that it still means that much to him, I think is a really cool, uh, element of Stranger's character yeah, carried through here. Those gloves looked ridiculous. I'm sorry. The the rest of the costume was bang on, but I told you I was like, "What? Why is he got big? Like, is he doing the dishes? Is it like those big yellow, like kind of gloves you put on where you do the dishes?" But I love that Chris doesn't even know what what marigolds are called. That's marigolds. Damn it! I knew they had a name. Um, No, I mean, yeah, I don't think I would necessarily want to see him wearing gloves in future movies. I think I think that'd be slightly weird, and and if they did, hopefully. Um, yeah, they would certainly look better than that. But it's a nice little nod to his, his his comic book character, I think. Yes, yeah. And the good note really to end it on is that this this post credit scene leads us into Ragnarok. It's showing that Doctor Strange is in his position in in the Sanctum Sanctorum. He's gone all the way through the MCU movies pretty much. Uh, he is now at his full power just before we get on to Infinity War, which is quite cool now that we got uh, we got this character. Ready to be to take his rightful place alongside the rest of the Avengers uh, at the end of the movie. I thought that that was a good way to end it. Really, it was. It was nice. Yeah, absolutely. Any particular notes before we go into defense of this movie or not, boys? I have a very quick one. I just want to bring in, and probably it's John will probably want to kind of chime in on this as very quickly as well. Um, big Marvel comic fans will be really pleased about how. They brought in some of the original Doctor Strange art by Steve Ditko, who's one mm-hmm. of the. For anyone who doesn't know, Steve Ditko is uh, one of the co-creators of Doctor Strange. It's not forgotten. It's paid proper respect in some of the bits where he's flying through that kind of wild other dimension sequences, like the the Absolutely. astral kind of plane trippiness, like which is you would see in those nineteen sixties depictions of strange tales with strange and nick fury yeah absolutely it was just it was a nice homage but also he's in the credits his named in the credits yeah yeah and i was like they could have done they could have done a bit of a stanley only kind of job but no yeah right rightly so as as we mentioned in our 101 podcast the character was created by steve dicko and it's it's one of the only characters really that's stanley Sends all the credit over to, to yeah. Steve Ditko for, um, yeah, that, it, that also struck me in the scene where, um, that Stephen is battling against one of Cassilius's zealots, where both of them are fighting as their astral projections. That's something that you would have seen so much in the Doctor Strange comic books, the two astral projections battling against each other and nobody else able to see what was going on between the two of them. It really struck me as something directly out of, 
Ditko's version of uh, of the character. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Very cool. Speaking of kind of co-creators, we have the moment of, of Stanley on the bus. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's reading uh, Aldous Huxley's The Doors of Perception. That's right. So, um, you Saying, know. No, this is ridiculous. As uh, as the astral projections are battling outside the window. Yeah, very cool cameo from Stanley there. Definitely. Yeah, and, and the Steve Ditko as well. Just those references. I mean, you just had to really. I mean, it would be I the same with, I suppose, as you know yourself, with Spider-Man. You know, they're the, his two principal creations. Um and along with Stanley, so like really good. I mean, I think one of the things I really enjoyed as well, uh, as just a couple of notes, I love the three sanctums. You know, we're all, um, we always know about the, the New York Sanctum Santorium 177A Bleecker Street, which is in the movie. They, they focus in, um, for a split second on, on, on the nameplate. But, you know, we also learn of the other sanctums that are protecting the earth here in Hong Kong and, mm-hmm. and in London and how, you know, I, w- the, the th- I wonder if the Sanctum Santorum in London is on Baker Street. <laughs> Could be. But I love that they have their different seals and I love that room in the Ancient Ones temple with the globe above. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doorways through to these different sanctums. I mean, really nice set design. It was really cool. Um, really that, good. That the earth um, is connected art. by these yeah. three sanctums protecting it as well. Uh, cool. And and with the the eye of Agamotto like right in the middle of it all. Um, really really good. And um, the other thing as well is you know, um, we've we've touched on it. The humor. I love the gag with Wong um, about you know Adele, Bono. Uh, NMM, all this kind of stuff. And we have right at the end, uh, we have him talking about Beyonce. And as Dr. Strange is coming in, nicking the, the books, he's listening to Beyonce on it, on his, uh, on, on his headset. And of course, right at the end, um, Wong is cracking a laugh, um, like hysterically almost. And the others are like looking at him going, well, finally, he's mm-hmm. like, he's laughed. Um, I, I just really enjoyed that. I actually thought Wong, and we haven't really mentioned him either. Uh, there's so much to get through, I think. Um, it's introducing so much, but, but Benedict Wong playing Wong is really, really good. I, I love the fact that, you know, we see him dead. If it's, n- if it wasn't for, uh, Doctor Strange's, uh, reversal of time there, we see him coming off, um, sort of a huge, uh, metal spike that's yeah. coming from the concrete so i mean this is the power that's being introduced into this into the mcu world here so it's really interesting but yeah i thought benedict wong was excellent here as wong yeah. i loved his his role as that kind of sort of fairly sober um harsh master of the mystic arts um the 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 notion that i'm not going to allow um my head get cut off like the former librarian just really good bit of interaction between stephen strain and wong which i think is really important if we're going to get another film because these two are so close um to one another uh, as a partnership i'm showing at the end of the film that mordo's gone now and it is wong and stephen standing tall uh in the sanctum is quite cool yeah Yeah, definitely Yeah, speaking of many deaths, my note is just about the amount of deaths that uh, that Doctor Strange goes through at the end of the film in his battle with, oh God, uh, yeah. with, 
uh, Dormammu. <laughs> that could have been years or decades that he's that he's there, uh, just setting the time to on repeat for you know seconds. I thought it was fantastically put together. I loved the repeated line of. I'm here to make a deal with you. Um, to, to <laughs> yeah, that's really good. As he's going, what what have you done here? Um, you know, I thought I thought it was worked really well. I really showed off the abilities of what we now know as the Time Stone. Um, one of the final, I think, or the 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 yeah, the second last of the gemstones that are, that will form the Infinity Stones for uh, it, the Infinity War. So absolutely, it's really good to finally see one of the Infinity Gems operational Mm -hmm. a bit like a death star um you know really good because we haven't seen too much of that maybe in guardians as well um we did see that but we also saw it being contained this was effectively it going here's what it can do yeah um and and that's the first time we've really seen it except through an explanation of the other infinity gems yeah it did feel like that the the one that's in vision's head doesn't seem to do exactly what it's uh it's made to do vision doesn't know how powerful it really is uh loki uses one of the one of the stones in the first thor film uh he isn't using it for its usual power he's using it for something else um so the yeah you're right there's lo- there's the, the the stones generally have been kind of these weird items that are all being collected for some reason that we don't really know about whereas the time stone hey i want one of those that sounds pretty awesome <laughs> uh, as long as i'm not being killed every 10 seconds for the rest of my life uh, well that that's would, true. that would be unfortunate or turning into a moldy old apple core exactly yeah, and I think what we, we should at some point kind of delve deeper into that. Um, but I think that's a topic for a whole other day when we get closer to Infinity Wars. Because mm-hmm. I think there's still so much at play. But it was one of the better adaptation and uses of one of the stones. And they yeah. called it out pretty early uh, in the film as well. Mm-hmm. So they, they made it out. They made it clear. It wasn't everyone going, ooh, is that it? It was like, yeah, they, yeah. they came out and told you. This wasn't like the reveal in Star Trek Beyond that John Harrison was actually canned. This wasn't something they saved till the second half of the film. This was something that they revealed early on. Yeah. Absolutely. Another fantastic connection uh, to to Benedict Cumberbatch. I was more going to go, is that just a name check or should we say spoilers? Do you no. say spoilers? The third one's out now. So they, yeah. Also, another topic I want to bring up. It's a note now, but another topic. When... Do you stop having to go spoilers for films and TV shows? Like, is there a, is there an expiration date? Discuss in our Facebook group, people. I'll put it up <laughs> there when, when we launch this. People get spoiled when it's fake spoilers like that particular one. Uh, I think we're grand to spoil it this long <laughs> on. Anybody who cared would have seen it. By <laughs> With that, then, I think it's about time that we move on to our defense of the 2016 Doctor Strange movie. Chris, do you defend... This film, Doctor Strange. Uh, yes, I do. This this is up there in the top three for me now. Uh, MCU films. It, it's really one of the the basically it's Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, and now Doctor Strange. Um, it's it, 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 there's a strong three there. We're fourteen movies into the MCU. Um, I love each one individually for different reasons, but. With so many other comic book movies and like there's a lot coming out these days, there's more to come. This was a basic origin story and I, we talked about my points and it was familiar, but it was done well. And I think some of this is because of the strengths and such as Benedict Cumberbatch being such a charismatic lead, the 
fun kind of elements, the, the humour, the right amount, the, the cape, the action, the, the visual spectate the visual spectacle in a good way. That is this. Um it has weaknesses, but it's a weakness we've seen from pretty much we've come to expect it, it that the villain to a degree seems underwritten and some of the supporting characters are underutilized. Sometime they'll get it right. Yeah, they will. But the, the thing is, they get it right in their, the, the longer, the, the Netflix, they get it right in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because you have longer. They just mm-hmm. need to find the right balance. Uh, as a whole, with the realms and the possibilities now, we're going to be able to get the magic as a possibility now. The visual, can you imagine the, the mirror warping in one of the Avengers Tari scenes? That's going to be amazing. Like the, the, the chance of doing that now. Um, it's the chances in the MCU are fascinating and what we're going to get out of this is going to be thrilling. And full of endless possibilities. Exactly. I think the biggest point in this is now that the origin story is out of the way, I look forward to seeing what's next for the good doctor. And more importantly, when's his office hours? <laughs> uh, is that a good way to end it? Too cheesy? Too cheesy? It's pretty good. I like it. So, Derek, with my cheesy closing line there, do you defend Doctor Strange, the movie? I absolutely defend this movie. Really loved it. I can't, I can't put it, um, put how high it is placed on my chart of, uh, of MCU films, unfortunately. Um, because the top three are pretty much always going to be taken up by Captain America films, sadly. Um, so this is something that came out of left field for me. All I really wanted out of this film was something fun, something that I enjoyed, something that would make me happy. It did all of those things, and it left me wanting more. It left me wanting more of Cassilius. It left me wanting more of the Astral Planes. It really left me wanting more of everything that I saw. And that can only be a good thing, really, can't it, after the first watching of a, of a Marvel yeah. movie? You know, walking out of it going, oh, well, I kind of liked, you know, half an hour of it, but not all of it. That's the worst thing you can have in one of these kind of films. Coming out of the movie at the end and going, I really liked the stars. I really liked everything that happened in the middle. I liked what happened at the end, and I want to see more. That's kind of all I can possibly want out of this film. But, John, again, this is your Doctor. We gave you the first point. We'll give you the last word on whether you defend Doctor Strange, the 2016 film. As a childhood fan of Doctor Strange, um, this is like the warm embrace of the Cloak of Levitation. Um, so it is five warm embraces from the Cloak of Levitation out of five. That is my absolutely unmitigated um, fanboy uh, rating, mm-hmm. okay? Um, absolutely biased. Um, and just to have this on-screen... Um, I, as I said in previous podcasts, I didn't think this was going to happen. I didn't think that Doctor Strange was going to be one of the properties that would make it to the MCU. I really didn't. Um, as I think I said in our Summer of Strange, I anticipated that the, what, the 2005 animated movie, that that was going to be as good as it got in relation to the good Doctor getting onto screen. Mm-hmm. If, with a slightly more critical kind of head on me, I would give this four and a half eyes of Agamotto <laughs> <I was sure laughs> out of five. <laughs> um, you know, I think 
look, there are weaknesses here with regards to some of the characters, but they're not weaknesses that are specific actually to Doctor Strange. It's just how they're handled within uh, the, the film. I think here, Cassilius um, maybe was underplayed in the same as has happened in Ant-Man and uh, with some of the other villains of uh, of Marvel. I think actually the final end credit scene really gives a promise of what Mordo can be, uh, almost a Loki uh, within this realm, um, to be honest, where he will be this kind of constant thorn in the side of Doctor Strange uh, in in the same way that Loki is to Thor. But I I think um, Benedict Cumberbatch really nails this character um, and he really gets it on point with regards to the arrogance, the humour and... The, the character prog- progression. I think the Ancient One um, really um, is a great foil to to him, you know, in terms of how she teaches him, but also then the, the, the shades that come into her character with tapping into the Dark Dimension. We get Dormammu um, as this, this, this existential other dimensional threat which is fantastic the magic is on point things like him with his hand shaking with the magic the visuals all so so good um some of the character points you know stranger's response to say on the zealot uh, the fact that he kills him and he's absolutely disgusted by it, absolutely great for the character's consistency and i mean then the cloak of levitation. It was such a great development for this item of Doctor Strange's uh, wardrobe. It, it was imbued with character. It was, wish, you know, it was just really, really good. Um, it was kind of like witty in a way. I, I, the, the the fight scene uh, with the zealot was amazing. And as I say, the trippy visuals, harking back to Ditko. Um, such a great sort of homage to his work and, and the action scenes, I think, with, with the mirror realm, with bits of buildings being turned upside down. Um, all of that really so cool. I'm, I'm just really happy mm-hmm. and can't wait to go and see my second uh, viewing of it. Absolutely. Well, to we- the Batmobile. <sighs> to the Strange or, Mobile? To the Strange Mobile. Exactly. Well, we did say, listeners, when we did the Doctor Strange uh, review, I think when we said around Civil War, I think we thought this was going to be a four-hour podcast with just John talking about how much he loved this film. Uh, Luckily, it hasn't been. It's been uh, pretty three-sided here. The guys, I think every one of us have loved this film, and I think uh, we'll be rushing back to see it again pretty soon. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. Really good to have you on board for this uh, this discussion about Doctor Strange and all of our podcasts, obviously. You can subscribe to our podcast over on iTunes if you wish to, just by going through our normal link at defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes. Or you can find links to any any other podcast catcher just by going through defenderstvpodcast.com uh, or searching for us anywhere. Absolutely. Even in the dark dimension, if you happen to be in, in that part of town.
And the more thing is, remember, we want to hear your views. We want to know, did you like it? What you liked? What you didn't like? Um, some of the Easter eggs we may have missed because there was a few in there that we didn't get a chance to call out in this podcast. So make sure you come over to our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. And just let us know what you think. Yeah, it's been great coming to you from the Dublin Sanctum. <laughs> That's what we should have on our front door. Um, but on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening uh, to our ramblings of, of Doctor Strange, uh, uh, particularly mine, I should say. Yeah, we'll speak with you next time when we will be back in the world of Harlem and Luke Cage. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with Luke Cage, Season 1, Episode 10. Take it personal this Friday, the 11th of November. Thanks, guys, for listening. And remember, when you're casting magic, the best way is not to bend molecules like Doctor Strange. It's to go... Absolutely. Always use magic safely and in a controlled environment. Uh, We'll speak with you next time. Bye. You have been listening to Defenders TV Podcast, a production of TV Podcast Industries. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, please go to www.defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes and subscribe there, leave a review, or alternatively go to any other good podcast catcher and search Defenders TV Podcast for Android users. Leave a review, subscribe, and this really helps independent podcasts uh, to be found out by other interested listeners. Also share uh, our podcast updates on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, or any other social media platform. Uh, You can also join us on Twitter at DefendersCast. You can join us on Facebook, join our group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Come and join the community, enter into the discussion, leave comments and feedback. If you want to get involved in the podcast, you can leave feedback at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or alternatively, you can leave a voicemail on our website at www.defenderstvpodcast.com. 90 seconds long and be an uh, audio part of our podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening and we will speak to you again soon.